John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 659.IS2916, certificate number 37104, inversion goggles. For another clue to the brain's remarkable adaptability, consider Susanna Fines, a London art student who has agreed to undertake a curious experiment. Now then, Susanna, if I could have a look at these most unusual spectacles on you. I'm sure I'm holding the cup up. First things first, we should make sure the future knows that we in our time had eyes. Lost it again. Mm -hmm. We apprehended the world, but they probably have visual organs of some kind. That, that see stereoscopically. We two had we eyes. had two, and that's the advantage. Not just a broader field of vision, but your brain can use differences in the two different images that are coming in to judge what is a large sphere far away and what is an apple right in front of your forehead that's about to hit you in the face. Although that's important if you don't want to get apple juice all over. No, it's true. Although it's useless in terms of determining whether the moon is larger at the horizon or not. It's true. Like we needed to evolve to avoid apples hitting us in the face, but there's, unless you're a werewolf, there's no evolutionary situation that requires knowing anything about the size or distance of the moon. Explain this to me. Are there, so there are lots of uh, aminals that have uh, two eyes, but that are on the sides of their head. And then there are animals uh, like us that have eyes both pointing forward. Yeah, we, I think the uh, trade-off is they get better field of vision. You know, a horse can see behind it in a way we can't, for example. Because it means to, it, it's trying to detect predators or I guess I know, wind storms or something. <laughs> right. The, horse, the, the horse's two enemies. <laughs> Predators and windstorms. Uh -huh. That's why horses are always galloping away because... Well, I always assumed it was ghosts. I mean, I know llamas are terrified of ghosts. Now, in your, are you picturing a horse being afraid of the ghost of a horse? Or are you picturing a human ghost? No, I like, think... Like, is it a horse wearing a big bed sheet that, like, is high on one end and low on the other? I think it's a... I think hosts... Uh, hosts... As you, as you call horse ghosts <laughs> or hosts. Yeah, hosts. Uh, horses are afraid of the ghosts of windstorms. <laughs> dead windstorms. It could be like dead cowboys, like a dead mean cowboy. Oh, yeah, but but horses, I'm sure, have... You know, I had an interesting dream last night about a geographical area that was so familiar to me. After I woke up, I was struggling to remember, where is this place? I know I've been there, and I fought and fought and fought the, the degradation of the dream you know, in waking time. Right. The holes start to appear like, like film burning through on a screen. Yeah. It just dissipated. And I was like, no, 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 this is a place I've been. I know I've been there. And I still, it, it's going to haunt me like a host. Don't you, <laughs> don't you think that's usually illusory though, when you wake up and you're convinced that the thing that happened in your dream reflected a oh, memory? But this was so real. It was, I mean, I know because I've, I've either dreamt about this many times before. I mean, I've had, I could recall many different interactions I'd had with this physical space. Boy, then it's like a peninsula that was accessible by a railroad, but also there were like horse ghosts all around. I mean, it was a very confusing dream. We can find this. This is like in the movie where the person explains the vision they've had, you know, the, the, the psychic who's helping the police and the police are frantically looking for the, the site where the body is or whatever. So there's a railroad and a peninsula. Yes. Put that into the computer. How many of those can there be? 
uh, well, in dreams, I often have false memories. Like I'll, you know, in the dream, an ocean liner will appear and I'll be like, that's like the ocean liner we all took in third grade, you right. know, and I'll be so convinced that actually happened. And then when I wake up, I'll realize, no, there, we never took an ocean liner. How could that, how is that even possible? But I mean, do horses dream of electric sheep? I mean, what do horses dream of? Uh, my dog dreams. You see his feet jerk. So yeah. he's, he's running. There's, there's outside evidence. Experimentation on animals is actually how we discovered how the eyes work. By hmm. the way, um, the uh, the ancient you mean we Greeks rubbed r- rubbed uh, like like Chanel number no. five in their eyes and yeah, the shampoo really <laughs> stung the rabbit's eyes and we were like, oh, that's how the eyes work. It doesn't the eye works better when it doesn't have um, Johnson and Johnson shampoo in it. <laughs> no, and when I say we, I do not mean this is how you and I discovered how the eyes work. Yeah, it's important to clarify because futurelings. They, they assume we discovered all this yeah. stuff that we're talking about. Well, we don't want them to think that we did any animal testing personally. You and I did make many important scientific discoveries, but not all of them. No, not a hundred percent of all human achievement <laughs> came true. from you and me. My number one form of animal testing is trying to kill the ants in my bathroom sink, and I say that with the full knowledge that there's a like an eleven percent chance that futurelings are giant ants. Yeah, this is you're just confessing to something awful. Or even modern day uh, Janes who don't believe in killing insects. Like they think you're irrevocably hurting, irreparably hurting your karma every time you spray out the ants in your sink. Right. The millions of souls crying out. And we're then silent. (laughs) (laughs) Alder ant. Uh, no, the, oh. the, the ancient Greeks were completely wrong about, do you have a bell? I do. <laughs> do we, have we ever had a bell before? No, but Alderant w- earned a bell. Wait, what is happening to the show now that you have a bell? Why don't I have a bell? I have a bell for you. It's I right want, over here. I want one of those slide whistles. So when you make a joke, I can be like, <laughs> the ancient Greeks were completely wrong about how the human eye worked as about so many other things. They thought that, uh. They had something called the emission theory, which is that the eye shoots beams out into the world. Mm-hmm. The eye is basically a big laser. And as we, I look around the room, I'm just sawing the room in half with my eye beams. And that's how vision works. Um, this is the, this is the old, is light a particle or a wave question? Sure. Except they think that the part the, whatever's coming is originating from the eye. Right. I see. Um, it's the exact opposite of what actually happened. So it's like they thought it was radar. Something, a beam yeah. would come out, bounce off, and then... Yeah, I don't even know if they got to the bounce part. Oh, Just I somehow the thing we shoot out is what produces... A vision. Light. You know, and we see super... That's how Superman sees, right? right. <laughs> like Exactly. <laughs> he has a beam of x-rayness <laughs> that comes out of his... I don't know how this helps him see through things, but... It must bounce back. Is it canon that it bounces back? Well, uh, either that or it creates a kind of cone, uh, like a, uh, a connecting cone between your the inside of your head. Other people can't see perceiving. it. Like when Superman is looking through the, uh, the battleship and he sees the bomb ticking away, like Jimmy Olsen can't see that. No. So the cone must not, it must have to go back to his eyes. Yeah. If Jimmy Olsen were to stand in between Superman, then, then and Superman the, could see his junk, see inside of his brain. <laughs> if any, Gross. but, uh, the funny thing is, I mean, that's, first of all, that's the opposite of how vision actually works. Of course, light enters through a little hole in our eye and not the other way around. And then is flipped upside down. That's the funny part. So, well, first of all, let me just say that even in our era, there is some evidence that up to 50% of adults still believe in the emission theory of light. Like if you, if you ask people how they think their own eyes work, they imagine something coming out of their head. No. Yeah. So I hope they're listening to the show. 50%. Right. Look, so look around your neighborhood. Like (laughs) that house knows how the eye works, but the house next door Probably does not. Is, is this the same 50% of the people that can't find Canada on a, on a globe? <laughs> yeah, they should do a Venn diagram. I think you can see this 50% pretty well just by looking at any electoral map. Right. You, you can see the two colors of <laughs> emission theory of light versus lens theory of light. <laughs> and yeah, so as what you say is right. The eye comes in through a little lens. Or the light does. What did I say? The eye comes in? You said the eye comes in. See, I am one of the 50%. Yeah, you're in a weird Venn diagram here. I believe in the emission theory of light. And because it comes into a lens, that gives us a wider field of vision. You know, a a, a huge part of the world is being focused onto a little light. And if it wasn't a lens, you wouldn't have that. So that's the advantage of it. Are there eyes on earth creatures that do not have lenses? Oh, I think so. Like, 
that are just apertures. Yeah, I mean, some simple creatures just have like little photoreceptors, right? right? They can tell light and maybe movement. But is that, I mean, at what point is the cutoff for describing something as an eye rather than as a a photoreceptor? I feel like this is a discussion that intelligent design people have a lot. Like, how does a photoreceptor turn into an eye? Answer, it doesn't. (laughs) A cosmic sorcerer. Um... Thank you, Cosmic Sorcerer. I did only had a photoreceptor before. This is much better. Now my contacts fit better. So, uh, so light comes in. The thing about having a lens is, you know, there's a focal point, but it, it, it bounces on the back of the eye upside down. Right. A retina. And that's what was discovered by no less a luminary than Rene Descartes in the 18th century. He took a bull eyeball and took off the retina and essentially looked through it, like put a screen back there. And he could see, you know, the lens was still there, but not the retina. And he could see that stuff was coming in and being projected upside down. Wow. And that bull gave his life so that we could all disprove the emission theory, I guess. I bet he gave his life for something else, like for... Like a bullfight? Yeah, right. Or, Descartes, Descartes or at the bullfight. <laughs> he was like, wait, 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 don't throw it away. Don't throw it away. Like the bullfighter is about to throw the ear to, the, to a beautiful senorita in the crowd. And Descartes is like, monsieur, I must <laughs> throw me have the eye. The eye. Merci. <laughs> I don't know why he's French and at the bullfight. Um, you know, uh, there is a bullfighting tradition in the south of France. Is that true? Well, you know, uh, the Basque people of northern Spain also, the Basque territory also encompasses uh, the area in southern France there around the Pyrenees. And do the Basques bullfight? I thought they were only into sheep. Uh, no. I thought maybe they went, not, not in any kind of weird way, but I just thought they were a shepherding people. No, you know, the running of the bulls in Pamplona, that Pamplona is a very... It's like a stronghold of Basque culture. Oh, is that true? Yeah. So they take a break from the sheep once a year to get some exercise. To chase some, or get chased. Chase and get chased. I have been in a bull chase uh, in a small Spanish village. Like a smaller, like a a less famous bull chase? Yeah, people don't realize that like a ton of villages do it. It's just that Pamplona is the, um, you know, kind of the destination one. Right. It's like how... um, The Festival of San Fermin. There you go. As Hemingway fans know, is there an example we have that like here in the States, like uh, where every town has a big rocking chair, but only the one in <laughs> Charleston, West Virginia is, is popular. Is the biggest rocking chair? Yeah, I don't know. Well, yeah, it's a, every, every town has a corn maze. Yeah, exactly. Every town has a 4th of July celebration. Uh, and in what sp- was the town you, you ran with the bulls? I don't remember. It wasn't that far from It was Madrid. like two and a half bulls, two bulls <laughs> and a calf. <laughs> they were golden retrievers, but it was very exciting. No, it's just a, what the dynamic there is, you know, they run them toward, I think it's the same Pamplona. They run them through the streets. They've kind of barricaded off a path through the streets and they run them into the corrida, the, where the bullfight takes place right. at the center of town. It's the that's, same. that's the destination. Have you been to, to Pamplona for the center of Maine? I have. Wow. Did you yeah. run? Uh, so uh, the running takes place very early in the morning. <laughs> and uh, at, the, at the time I was sleeping in parks, right? I didn't have the money for a, uh, for a hotel. Somebody sleeping on a park bench should be a morning person. You, one would think, right? But um, I would stay up very late and then I would catch some sleep. And a couple of times somebody shook my shoulder and said, they're running the bulls. Come on. And I rolled over and pulled my little dusty blanket back over my head. Give me five more minutes, Mom. Come on. But I was in Pamplona for the festival for an entire week. I just never managed to make it over. (laughs) Did you ever see a bull? Oh, yeah, lots of bulls. And I went to the the bullfights, but I didn't didn't actually ever run with them. Uh, We ran, but, you know, really what you want to do is just make sure you keep half the town between you and the bulls. Like you can run with the bulls, but really, you know, if you're running a quarter mile ahead of the bulls, you'll do great. Yeah. As we say in Alaska, you don't have to run faster than the bear. You just have to run faster than your friend. Right. Or in this case, the drunk Spanish man who's a little closer to the horns than you. Or, you know, the young macho guys who who are trying to. Who are stunting. Right. You were in... A small Spanish village, but you were you had less get up and go than the uh, the sleepy villagers of a small Spanish town. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I can never fully put myself back into my twenty year old self to understand what that person, what was motivating that person exactly. Like I made it all the way to Pamplona. I was there for the entire festival. I drank sangria with the people. I had a white shirt on and a red belt. I mean, the whole nine. I did the whole thing. 
But the actual running of the bulls just, I mean, it's like it happens at dawn and I just could not, I just never made it. I was living, <laughs> I don't know why. I was living in Salt Lake City for the Olympics in 2002 and I, I think I saw nothing and it was for the same reason. Everything yeah. was incredibly early. Yeah. I think we tried to go to the ski jump once and it got canceled because of high winds. And we were like, all right, that was the Olympics. Yeah. I mean, it's funny how, how, how often that is the case where you're like, oh yeah, it's happening all around me. <sighs> well, anyway, but at least that one's the effect where it's in your hometown. You know, right. it's like people from New York never go on, never go to the Statue of Liberty until they have relatives in town. Have you been to the Statue of Liberty? I have. I never have either. I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I never have either. You never listen to me, do you? <laughs> yeah, I love the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, I hate it too. I never go there. <laughs> you've never even you've never even been to the island. No, never. I just I look at it over there. Although I did go to the top of the World Trade Center on. Uh, September 1st, 2001. Oh, that was good. You, you, I'd never you, been. You and I was a good like, day. I was like, you know what? I, I've been meaning to go up there for decades. I'm just going to do it. I went, a friend and I went down and went up and did the whole thing. Climbed up on the roof. What, what is up there? Is a windows of the world, a little restaurant and then yeah. there's an observation. Deck. And there's an observation, observation deck on the top. top. And we went up and talked about, because this was, you know, obviously after they'd Tried to blow it up. The truck bomb in 92 that everybody forgets, 93. So we stood up there and talked about all the ways that you would, that you could try and destroy the World Trade Center. Oh, good job. But we never occurred to us to fly an airplane into it. That's what made that so diabolical. That's to your credit, probably. Yeah. We were like, wow, you'd have to really, you'd have to really drum up a a truck bomb. I mean, a serious one. Were you guys there just because you were fans of the Jessica Lange King Kong? where he climbs up the World Trade Center instead of the Empire State Building? We were fans of it, <laughs> but uh, but no, we were just, we were being tourists. Statue of Liberty, you can't go to the Torch or the, I think you can go to the Crown now, but you have to make tickets in advance and nobody goes to the Torch. I think my sister went in the 1970s with my dad and was able to go, is that possible, go up the Torch or was it already closed by 75? I don't know. Was your dad connected at all? Did he make a phone call? My dad was connected, as you, as you know. He, uh... He seemed to be able to make a phone call and get into almost anywhere. I know he was part of some smoke-filled Democratic Party machine. He I just was. didn't know if you could call a corrupt political boss in New York and get to the top of the Statue of Liberty. Absolutely. That's, the, that's, that's how corrupt Democratic political machines work. That's Ken. the most frequent call they get. <laughs> if you are calling about the Statue of Liberty torch, press one. <laughs> if you wish to have your construction company paid off, press two. <laughs> We're a little far afield from how the human eye works, I gotta say. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. So light comes in. What a, what a segue. Light does not go out. Light comes in. <laughs> Unlike the torch. <laughs> Of the Statue of Liberty, light does not come out. The fact that the image is projected on the retina upside down, you know, is interesting to a lot of people. And it's probably what sparked a series of psychological experiments on how we apprehend vision. Because, you know, if the, if the light is bouncing out of the retina upside down, we realize the brain is in some way compensating for that. And I think we usually explain it by saying, oh, yeah, the, the brain flips it right side up. But that's not true. There's not a little man in a movie theater in our, in our head who needs it flipped for him. Uh, basically, you know, the optic nerve and the visual cortex interact in such a way that the top has always been the top to us, and it doesn't matter that it's the bottom of the retina. Right. The geography of the retina does not correspond to your own, what, somatosensory part of your brain. Right. That tells you... It could come in sideways. It could come in at any angle. Yeah. We just have to know that, you know, when I reach my hand up, 
that matches a part of my field of vision that I perceive is up. It doesn't, who cares if it's the bottom of the retina? Right. But the fact that it's upside down got people thinking, you know, could, what would happen to someone who saw everything upside down? And in fact, that's a very easy optical process to solve. All you need is two convex lenses in a tube and you need to place them exactly as far away from each other uh, in twice their focal distance. And if you put that in front of your eyes, you just made an inverted lens and you could, will see everything upside down. It'll be inverted upside down and left to right, I guess. It'll be as if you had turned a TV upside down. So this is different from uh, laying on a couch with your head dangling over and looking at the room long enough so that you can imagine the floor is the ceiling and the ceiling is the floor. They've experimented on tilting the head. You know, have you noticed when you tilt the head, the room does not appear to tilt like the bridge on Star Trek when hmm. something <laughs> bad happens? Like mm -hmm. I'm tilting my head and it's clear the room is not tilting, right? And there's about a, maybe a, like a 15 degree angle at which you can do this. And then, you know, and the brain is good at compensating. Hmm. The brain says, I bet the ceiling ceiling is still horizontal, even though it appears to be tipping. Mm -hmm. But you hit a certain point, and that's when the head stops, the brain stops compensating. And so you can see the room upside down. But, um, you know, it's not quite the same as seeing something upside down when you're not upside down. Because when you're upside down, it matches your... Sure, you're, yeah. We have more than five senses. We say there's five senses, but that's not true at all. What are the additional senses? Umami? <laughs> yeah, they're all umami. <laughs> so, Vision, smell, taste, touch, umami, 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 umami. I mean, some of them are superpowers that, you know, maybe only I have, you know, x-ray vision or whatever. Sure, or like my daughter's mother can tell what I'm thinking. Ah, that's true. But she can't. There, <laughs> this is a self-reported finding. <laughs> yeah, she thinks she has a superpower. I was on a TV show yesterday with a woman who, uh, at first I found out she was like some kind of president of data development at Fox, but then I found out she can see ghosts. <gasps> is that why she was on the program? Yes, she was promoting a new book about her ability to see ghosts. Oh, she can see them. Is she a horse? <laughs> I didn't think to ask. No, she was clearly a human vice president. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't ask if any of the ghosts were horses. Mm -hmm. um, I was just trying to keep it light and have, you know, kind of laugh about right. the, fun, the, the fun of ghosts. You didn't want to make it weird. It turns out people who think they can see ghosts do not enjoy keeping it light and laughing about their abilities. Oh, I bet not. They, they take it very seriously. No, because if you start to laugh, then it might you might be implying that maybe they can't actually see ghosts. She says she sees ghosts in, uh, in she discovered a ghost in a photograph and that's how she discovered she could see ghosts. Oh. And she's like, I've seen 9,000 ghosts that way. 9,000 ghosts. And I said, all in the same photograph? <laughs> Was it like a Where's Waldo? And she did not think that was funny. That's not funny at all. You were playing the role of Houdini in this story. Oh, Houdini the skeptic. Yeah, you were debunking her ghost seeing ability. I wasn't trying to debunk it. She had said that uh, she had said that she admired me for being on a quiz show because she never does well on quiz shows. And I said, oh, and when I found out she had these psychic powers, I said, well, you could you should go on the show. You could just read the host's mind. You know, ah, Alex Trebek. I see you were thinking of the Franco-Prussian War. You right. Know? And she did not think that was funny either. No, because she's not reading minds. She's seen ghosts in photographs. She can do both, it turns out. Has she seen ever a ghost that wasn't in a photograph? Uh, I believe yes. But we, like real life we talked very briefly. Oh, it seems like you missed an opportunity to really quiz this girl. She said, I can, I can read some people's minds. For example, you don't believe me, she said to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's very good. But not funny. She didn't, she wasn't being funny. No, she's um, not. A, she's not a funny ghost here. She said that most people do believe in ghosts, though. If you if you if, if you look at Google, like um, ghost is one of the most common searches. And I say yes, but they're looking for the Patrick Swayze movie. And I thought this was an obvious joke. And she was like, No, no, they're not. You see, they type things like "Are ghosts real?" and "What do ghosts look like?" Right. So it was not the Patrick Swayze movie after all. Um, do you, why are we are talking you, about this? Oh, self-reported yeah. senses that few people have. Yeah. So what are the other senses besides the, besides the ones? Well, I mean, a lot of them are things we put under touch, but are different. For example, feeling pain is very different than feeling the texture of it. I mean, touch is feeling texture, right. but we can also feel temperature. We can feel pain. Right. Um, there you can are, feel vibes. <laughs> you can feel vibes. You can get vibed by somebody pretty hard. The sixth sense, vibes. Um, there's proprioception, which is like where your own body is. Like, mm -hmm. even if I'm not looking at my left hand, even if my left hand is not touching, 
you know, this tabletop, I have a sense in space of where my left hand is. Mm -hmm. And that's a sense that we have. So a, a combination of just knowing where your body is and which balance and all the vestibular stuff. So a combination of knowing which way your head is oriented, plus what you're seeing, you know, you, when you're upside down, your head, your body, your brain knows, oh yeah, I can tell from the ear canals that my head is upside down. I expect the ceiling to be up there and the floor down there and the floor to be up there. Well, so what happens if you flip that around? So if you put on a special pair of glasses, which was first done by George Stratton, the founder of the Berkeley uh, Psychology Department in 1890, at first it's incredibly disorienting. So he put one of these contraptions on his eyes. You block out all the other light because you can't, you don't want any of the real world to peek into the corners. Mm -hmm. So he's seeing everything exactly upside down. And we've seen video of later people doing, or not video, we've seen film of later people doing this experiment. And I watched one of a, an Innsbruck psychiatrist named Thomas Erisman doing this in 1950 on a research assistant named Evo Kohler. His device is a little different. It doesn't look like it's two lenses. His is based on mirrors. He's wearing what looks like a baseball cap with a mirror under the brim. And then he's wearing two mirrors under each eye that bounce up to the mirror on the brim of the hat, which delivers apparently a pretty convincing upside down image. Hmm. So I'm watching this goofball go about his life. It seems like that would just give you an image of your shoes. That would be interesting to, to put on a pair of goggles that just showed you your shoes. Just Except see, you're looking straight forward. Just to see what it's like for your shoes all the time. <laughs> I had the experience one time of walking through a train tunnel in the middle of the night where light was completely, there was no light at all, none. And not even just the faintest amount of ambient light. The difference between eyes open and eyes closed was imperceptible. Where were you? I was walking through the, um, the Whittier Tunnel outside of Whittier, Alaska, which used to be, it was a train tunnel that didn't have a road. And so at the end of the night, after the last train went, you could no longer leave Whittier, uh, which is a little coastal sort of village. You couldn't leave Whittier until the following day when the first train arrived. Because there's no roads. And you couldn't come to Whittier past the, past the last train. And I was in Whittier with a couple of guys, and we missed the last train. And we were in a bar. And we said to the bartender, we're going to walk through the tunnel. And he said, I would not do that. I would not do that. And we said, we're going to do it. We're young. We don't have any fears. And he said, you are dumb. Plus it's an activity you can do at night, unlike the running of the bulls. Right. And also, and it's very similar to the running the bulls. In the, Is in, it? Yeah. Wait. I mean, well, you're sure. Maybe. I mean, when you're running with the bulls, aren't you in a darkened train tunnel? There could I be, don't know. I never did it. The tunnel could be full of bulls. You wouldn't know. It's so dark. So we went into the tunnel and we had the very curious experience of very quickly we realized it was a terrible idea. The The ground between the railroad ties was often not there. I mean, you know, like you try and put your foot down between the ties and feel dirt so and you couldn't. You have to step from tie to tie. From tie to tie. And, the, and inside the mountain, it's just raining all the time groundwater just dripping and it's horrifying and it's a very, very long tunnel. But what we discovered was if you closed your eyes, even though you couldn't see anything with your eyes open, if you closed your eyes, it was very difficult to walk forward. You know, you, you put your hands out in front, you you felt, um, you were incapacitated when you closed your eyes, but if you opened your eyes and still could see nothing, it was easier to walk. Your brain wanted your eyes open. Do you think it's because there was some kind of visual information there that you couldn't register consciously? No, we, we, we did every experiment you could to imagine that there was something to see and there wasn't. It was just that your the idea of walking into an unknown space with your eyes closed there's, a, there's a strong aversion to that. Yeah. Deep in us. It created this, this, um, it was terrifying. And with your eyes open, it was still terrifying, but at least you, at least we could make forward progress. Um, Were you tempted to just stay there and become Gollum? <laughs> you know, I don't think Gollum went into the mountain because he was like tempted by its, by the appeal of it. He wanted to get away from the sun. I yeah. Think. Yeah. It was, it was getting away from the sun and we did not want to get away from the sun. We just wanted to get out of Whittier. <laughs> but no, what we ended it up doing the same thing, right? <laughs> what we ended up doing was I was in front, the guy behind me put a hand on my shoulder, and the guy behind him put a hand on his shoulder, and the three of us, you know, sort of 
made a caterpillar, a human caterpillar, if you will. Uh, <laughs> and you stopped walking, made a human caterpillar. <laughs> and then when you were bored with that, you left the tunnel. Yeah. And then we, you know, we walked all night. It took us all night to get through this tunnel. Cause you, you know, we were walking. I mean, we were walking as fast as we could, but that was not very fast. And like I say, it's a long tunnel. Is it miles? Yeah. There's one of those, I didn't realize there's one of those on the John Wayne Iron Horse Trail up Snoqualmie Pass. One of the longest train tunnels in, I think it's the longest one in America and one of the longest in the world. Uh, uh, The thing I was, I didn't realize I was coming up on it and like I'm a mile away, I'm like half a mile away from it and the weather changes. It gets Mm -hmm. physically cooler on that trail and I guess it's just the inside of a mountain just blasting its cold inside of the mountain air. It's the inside of the mountain where the the goblins live. And where Gollum probably lives. Yeah. Getting rained on, it turns out. I didn't know it rained inside mountains. Well, yeah, it's all that groundwater that's just seeping. Seep, seep, seep. So for a laugh, it's fun to watch videos of people with one of these contraptions, these inversion goggles on their eyes. It kind of looks, in some cases, it looks like they're wearing a a Viewmaster or one of these newfangled VR headsets, but it's old-timey video. Uh, The first thing they do with this guy is give him a white cane and put on an armband Uh, it's like a yellow armband with three black dots, which I guess is how you tell people in 1950 Austria, I'm blind, uh, because he's going to have a hard time walking down the street. I feel like any yellow armband in Austria is going to be problematic for me. It's the first thing I thought of when they put it on the guy. I'm like, wow, there is a tradition in central European cultures of kind of, you know, stereotyping or pigeonholing someone, identifying someone on the basis of an armband. Wow. Uh, so I guess the Nazis did not invent it. People who did not see invented it. <laughs> Seems like a weird, a weird thing for people who didn't see to invent. It wasn't the Nazis. It was the Nazis. Oh, I, you know, I want to give that a bell, but it's a muted bell. <laughs> it's a wah, wah. You need a <laughs> muted trumpet as well. Yeah. That trombone. Um, and so they, t- they take him out walking in the street and he r- literally can't walk. They come to a gate. He passes under a gate and he tries to lift up his feet as if to step over something because to him, the gate is in the bottom of his field of vision, right. not above him. Um, they show him fencing with the scientist. He's got a, the scientist is kind of poking at him with a little stick and he's trying to block it with some kind of a rod. And every time... They go low, he goes high. You know, it's the Michelle Obama thing. <laughs> like he, <laughs> he cannot parry a single blow because he's always moving in the exact wrong direction. They try to pour the guy a cup of tea and he, he immediately takes the cup and turns it upside down. And they, they try to convince him, you know, you need to turn the right way. And he thinks it is. Like he, he can't figure out what they mean. The mismatch is so confusing. Have you ever, do you, do you cut your own hair? <laughs> does it, no, this is awful. It, does it look like I cut my own hair? It kind of does. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't look like I don't cut my own hair. I don't know. I don't want to insult your barber, but like, it's possible. You seem like one of these sort of libertarian characters that might cut his own hair. Just to, yeah, that's, just that's to, the, the core of my libertarianism. <laughs> I'm sick of the government controlling my uh, hairstyling. Yeah. Uh, well, and you know, your hair does look like the government's controlling it. Because I'm wearing a tinfoil hat. Over well, it. no, because it just you just look like a CIA agent from the 50s. That's the look I've been going for my entire life. But I do cut my own hair. And so the orientation of, you know, trying to operate scissors in a mirror, in a mirror. on the back of your head is really like this that you're describing. Um, I keep turning the, the teacup upside down because as you, you know, you, you're moving the scissors, but you're also trying to orient them on a Y axis yeah. as well as on an X axis and on a Z axis. I mean, it's, there's three dimensions that you're trying to, to You do have a three dimensional head. My head. I can confirm. My head is three dimensional. My head is four dimensional. I have to, I have to cut my hair in time as well. I'm keeping in mind when it's going to grow a week or a month into the future. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm picturing that at all times. It is a tesseract now that I look at it. Why didn't we mention this in the show? <laughs> as I turn my head, like different rays and arms appear and disappear. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. 
Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com start. So does this have a uh, does this have any utility? These glasses. I mean, how long does it take a person to? Absolutely not. It's just a way to laugh at a grad student. How long does it take to rewire your brain so that you can wear upside down glasses and get around fine? It's surprisingly quick. The ne- the video cuts ahead to uh, stage two of the experiment. He's he's been wearing them night and day for three to five days, and he's okay. He's walking without trouble. He doesn't try to step over illusory gates anymore. He's better at parrying um, blows with a stick. For some reason, the experiment they have him do is to light a cigarette on another person with a match on a stick. I'm not sure why that's the ultimate test oh, of... That's the ultimate test. Of, of, that's of, why it's called the ultimate of test. Of upside down vision. Like Maybe that's a tradition <laughs> in Austria. And now for our final challenge. Every Austrian game show ends with the lighting a cigarette <laughs> on a stick test. And the funny thing is there's two heads. There's an upside down head and a right side up head. Two, pe- two assistants have stuck their heads through a piece of cloth, and he's going to do both of them. And I thought he was going to be better at one than the other, but that never actually happens in the mm-hmm. movie. Maybe it's just for fun, for mm-hmm. decoration. Mm-hmm. And in the same period of time, he's, uh, he's biking through the town, like in less than a week. Huh. He's painting landscapes quite well in the video. I wonder if they got a skilled artist. Yeah, that seems like... Uh... <laughs> Doctor, will I ever play the violin? (laughs) (laughs) It hurts when I do this. But I guess I was thinking, you know, if he's painting the castle on the hill, the castle is also upside down. So all he has to do is duplicate that. I mean, the the problem is the motion of his hands is not what he expects. Well, this feels like a wire, like a brain wiring thing that once it happens, you would no longer have to compensate. It would just be, you would just have made the flip and you'd just be seeing the world in this new way. George Stratton said it was a little different from just, you know, looking at an upside down TV. Uh, He said, although these images were clear and definite, they did not at first seem to be real things. So there was kind of a weird existential thing going on where Uh he was surrounded by 3D objects, but they seemed somehow to be misplaced, false, or illusory. So he was was having a bad trip, essentially. I wonder how much of that is looking at something through through the intermediary of a lens. Yeah, I don't know how much like seeing without something over your eyes it can actually be. I mean, today there's probably an app for this. You just have to t- duct tape two iPhones to your uh, to your head and turn on Flipper without an E or whatever the app is that turns things upside down. When you Right before you came over, I had two iPhones duct taped to my head. I took them off, not thinking that it would be something we could use for the show. I love when you answer the door with the two iPhones stuck to your head. You're like uh, Christopher Lloyd in Back to the Future. <laughs> Ken, you got to come in. But uh, he also said that by focusing attention, he could kind of flip things upside down and right side up. Like things would, he would get used to the upside downness and he could, he could cope. But when he kind of focused attention on them, he would realize they were upside down. Hmm. So no actual rotation had really happened. His brain was developing workarounds, I guess. It's interesting how elastic the brain is. I wonder what, what are some similar experiments or some similar, um, like this all feels like lives of a cell kind of, kind of experimentation, right? Uh, um, like what are some other things? ways that you could fool the brain and it would adapt this quickly to a new reality. We always think of this as one of the most hopeful things about the human condition, how resilient we are, how no matter what happens, we push forward. And that's true. Like I find myself always thinking, boy, if some small thing changed in my life, what would I, how, like the the other day I was, uh, I was going to have to speak, drive up to Vancouver in the middle of the night and speak at 10 a.m. the next morning. And they moved it back to eight. Oh. And I was just like, oh, that's so Canadian. how am I even two hours of sleep? Like, I literally don't know how I can do this event on two hours of less sleep. But of course, you're fine. You do fine. Yeah. Pe- people lose limbs and people lose children and, and life goes on. And we think of it as a good thing. But it's also a little bit frightening how, you know, if we really do have this innate ability to adapt to anything, 
to accept anything as the new status quo, it's easy to see how that can go wrong, right? Well, sure. I mean, that's that's the problem of our capacity to endure. You can endure some pretty awful, awful, awful states. It's kind of the problem of, you know, it's 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 what makes totalitarianism possible is that people will adjust to the new lousy thing. We're in our second straight year of uh, like a dim, smoky August here in Seattle from forest fires all over the West. And uh, our August used to be beautiful. And people are just like, oh, yeah, this is the new thing. We have smoky August now. It's like, yeah, it's like the second year. What do you mean it's the new thing? People were like, oh, OK, I guess I guess everything sucks now. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, but we always have California to measure ourselves against. And it, and it seems like our smoky August is a small price to pay, given that our neighbors to the south are like literally their neighborhoods are burning. My sister uh, drove up from Medford to visit and then drove home. And when she got back, it was so smoky. She couldn't see the end of her own cul-de-sac. And the next morning she turned around and drove right back up. Like she was not sticking around in. So it's still better here, even, even though ash is falling from the sky. Right. But, but think about how, what that means for a society. If uh, like, I've read accounts of, you know, not to cheer things up too much, but I've read accounts of the Holocaust where the Jewish communities kept trying to keep a stiff upper lip and, you know, jolly their children along and, oh, you know, here are the jokes we tell in the camps about how, you know, when things would get better, you know, someday I'm going to be at a fancy dinner party in Berlin and they'll scoop up the soup and I will say, make sure you scoop from the bottom of the dish. That's where the potatoes are, you know, like, so they would tell these jokes about, you know, what they would do with their... This seems like the screenplay to an unmade Jerry Lewis movie. <laughs> Which he will never allow us to see. <laughs> He'll die one day. He'll die and we'll see this film. But no matter how things get, people kind of cope using tools like, I guess, you know, humor and deflection and distraction. And, you know, it really means we'll accept awful stuff. Well, imagine just uh, what it would be like to lose your sense of smell and taste. I mean, you, the, the difference would be like undiscernible to somebody outside yourself, but it would significantly impact your apprehension of the world. I have a friend of a friend who can't smell and my heart just broke, you know, because most of what, most of the pleasure of eating actually comes through smell. Um, but yeah, that same process of adaptation that led Dr. Stratton and Dr. Erisman to, to start to become used to the new world. I mean, that happens with all sensory input. I sleep with a white noise machine on every night to drown out my squalling children. Right. And, uh, well, what if you had chronic pain? I mean, I think that's maybe the hardest thing to imagine is, um, is to be in a state of chronic pain. Yeah. Do people, can people habituate to that? I guess. I mean, they, they do, they survive, but I mean, chronic pain is, I, I don't think they ever habituate to the extent that it doesn't register as pain anymore. The, um, I mean, I've been listening to my across the street neighbors pit bulls bark all night long for a year, and I'm still not used to it. I lived near a I lived near train tracks once, and I I stopped waking up. Oh, for sure. And the classic example, I guess, is when you're a kid, you have one friend whose house always smells weird, right? <laughs> and he doesn't know because he's been living there, and probably your house smells weird to him, right? Like nobody knows if their own house smells weird because I don't know. You came into my house earlier today. Does it smell weird to you? Oh, I should have thought about it. Does my house have a have a um an environment? When you walk in, do you feel like you're in a new an a strange environment? I feel like I should get revenge here for you saying that it looks like I cut my own hair. But we don't I mean it's not like I cook with a lot of garlic or something. We're both Pacific Northwesterners. We both eat the same macaroni and cheese and dry white toast <laughs> that, that, that comprises the ethnic cuisine of our region. I uh, eat tuna salad made with Miracle Whip instead of mayonnaise. Yeah. Three meals a day every day. I don't day. use Miracle Whip, I'm afraid. <laughs> no, that would smell strange I to don't me. Either. <laughs> right. But I'm not even talking about like cultural smells. Like, ah, I can tell your family, um, you know, right. makes fish or, you know, smoked fish or whatever. Like really, it's just some unimaginable thing that somehow oozes out of our lifestyle. Yeah. The people... The Pe smell. Yeah. And old people do have a smell, by the way. I've seen data on this. Like, actually, the, the tissues do change over time, and an old person's house smells like an old person. Really? Right. But we get used to anything. And the funny thing in all of these experiments is what happens when they take the goggles off. I've never seen one of these run more than eight or ten days. And when they take them off, it would be nice to think that the world then looks upside down to them. And that's not quite true. They can tell that the world is... Right, right side it. up. The, the, the sky does not appear to be below their feet. But 
things seem incredibly wrong. Like all of their muscle movements are wrong now because they've adjusted to the new reality. So now they'll, you know, if you pour them tea now, they will hold the teacup upside down probably. Really? Yeah, because they've, they've adjusted, they've habituated. Well, I mean, imagine having a neurological condition where some aspect of your perception didn't connect directly to your, your corporeal Which happens. self. People, I think there's a... There's some Oliver Sacks thing where some guy doesn't think his leg is his leg. Oh, right. You show, you can show him it's attached and he'll be like, I just know that is not my leg. He thinks his wife is a hat. I don't know where you start with somebody like that. I yeah. mean, first of all, how could your wife be a hat? Does she have a felt brim? No. Is she on your head? Is That's she? the first question. Does she have a sea lion cave slogan embroidered on the front of her? No, probably. It, it, it really does. Uh, this is the confusing... This is, I mean, back to Descartes, right? If we really are caged by our perceptions, I mean, like, like, how do, if, how do I know the color blue I see is the same as the color yeah, blue you see? What if the whole world is just an atom in the finger of a giant being? It really makes you think. And that concludes Inversion Goggles, entry 659 dot is 2916 certificate number 37104 in the omnibus listeners from our vantage point in your distant past you're not doing the voice anymore oh i'll do it i'll do it in the voice no you don't have to do it in the voice. listeners from our vantage point in your distant past was it giving you the hotel bell that <laughs> that made you think you could do this voice now. <laughs> we have no idea how long our civilization even survived. Like how long is it even going to be here, man? Oh, it's like it's like we hope and pray that like the catastrophe we fear may never come, but like if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, like totally may be our final word. You got so in character, you forgot to do the social media stuff. Oh, oh, oh! Whoa, 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 whoa! Sorry to harsh, oh, sorry oh, to harsh your mellow. Oh, dude, I'm doing the other. I'm doing the totally wrong one, bro. Now you're the turtle from Finding Nemo. Oh man, are you gonna like do it or should I go back? <laughs> My perception is totally inverted right now. My teacup is like upside down. Um, maybe your teacup is right side up and the whole tea party is upside down, man. Oh, I do think the tea party's upside down, bro. You should do the social media thing. All right. So anyway, like. Social media is like a full-on bummer, right? But if you're into it, like, I'm not here to yuck your yum. So anyway, like, if you want to, like, interact with us on Facebook, we totally have, like, an omnibus group called The Futurelings on Facebook, and it's super fun over there. People are really smart and, and like, clever and stuff and talking about episodes and stuff. Uh, and also, like, we're on Twitter and Instagram, like, me and Ken, both of us, like, at John Roderick and at Ken Jennings, except he's not really on Instagram. He's like on there, but he's not on there. Well, at the same time, I know it's super weird. Cause I like see you lurking and stuff, but you like never do anything. <laughs> it's kind of weird actually. Um, also what? Oh, you can totally email us and we will like absolutely read it and even reply. And that is, Omnibus project at howstuffworks.com. We were also giving out a snail mail address. Oh. And people mailed us stuff. Oh, wait, 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 whoa. To Omnibus Project, P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. I have the first uh send it to Zoom. <laughs> Like I'm, I've got a, I've got a, some stuff people send us right here. A, oh no way! A postcard of uh, Admiral Byrd flying to the Antarctic. Real um, mail. Yeah, somebody sent us their um, mini comics that they made. One about Comet Cahotec that was inspired by an earlier entry in the Omnibus. Excellent. And here's a true crime book: a true story of murder and malice in the woods of the Pacific Northwest. Ooh. This seems like it's up your alley. It is. Well, I t when I told you we got all this stuff, the first thing you said was, uh, "I don't really want people sending us zines. Like, I want them to send me a nice suit." Yeah. You were disappointed when I opened my P.O. box and it did not have a nice suit yeah, in I your said, size. Yeah, I said, is there a suit? Is there a, a 44 long suit with a 38-inch waist done in a cool style, like a zoot suit style? Or So every day you're disappointed when you go to the mailbox and there is not 
a tailored suit in it. When I open the mailbox, here's what I'm looking for. Number one, first, an a envelope check. with a check. <laughs> the <laughs> and, old freelancer walked to the mailbox. And I go through the check. I go through the envelopes and I'm like, no check, no check, no check. Damn it. But, Sometimes there's a check. And then you have to go through everything again and see if any of those things you rejected for not being a check might be a tailored suit. Right. And every once in a while, there is a tailored suit. Really? Because, in your mailbox? Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, but there could be more. There could be more checks and more tailored suits. So, I mean, send our send zines. I'll read your zine. I like a zine. This comic about Comet Kohotek is very good. Uh, does it have us in it? Uh, no, but it has some of the stories we told. Here's Isaac Asimov amusing seasick passengers on a cruise. Like, I mean, this, this is all straight from the episode. That was a quick turnaround. This comic was inspired by an episode of the podcast Omnibus. Oh, look at that. Thank um, you, Talbert Johnson. Yeah, that's fantastic. If you want to make... Oh, and he hand-drew a picture of a nude Carl Sagan for us on the frontispiece. This is kind of sexy. I love the idea of a, um, of a graphic novel with you and me as the characters. And our virtual assistant, a nude Carl Sagan. If we're going to have a nude virtual assistant, I would prefer it not be Carl Sagan. That is absolutely the only nude assistant I will accept. See, you are a married person, so a nude Carl Sagan is not a temptation to you. But, <laughs> but as, when a, I, as a single person? <laughs> but as a single person, I, I would take be... Take that... What's under that turtleneck, Carl? I would be too I tempted. I have to know. <laughs> are you done reading well, yeah, but social media like, stuff? I read both parts. I'm going to do a read of the second part, but not in a uh, surfer voice. Do you have a stoner voice? I don't think so. Oh, you've never been stoned. You have no idea. You don't even know what the, like, what the impetus for speaking like that is. And I feel like if I did it, it would be just a counterfeit. It would be appropriation, for one thing, right. of a culture that is not mine. Thank you. Cannabis culture. Thank you for not appropriating <laughs> our culture. And second of all, it would just be an impression of, you know, Casey Kasem as Shaggy, who is doing an impression of... I don't even know. Maynard Dobie G. Gillis. Krebs? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Who is doing an impression of an actual beatnik stoner. So it would be like four steps removed. I mean, the reason that you talk like that when you're a stoner is that it is a very comfortable way to talk when you're stoned. It's not, you know, it's not a put on. You just like, that's how it comes is out. Is it like habituation, like with the, uh, with the goggles? Are you hearing a regular voice in your head? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Oh, except, except that things are so amazing when you're stoned. That you have to you have to speak in a voice that conveys that amazement, like, "Whoa, Ken!" Like, "Oh, your hair is like almost like it was cut by a professional, but like, whoa, not quite." I I looked online to see if you could buy, by the way, uh, some kind of inverting glasses today. Oh yeah, and there is a product like that, but they're called lazy glasses, and it's so you can lay your head flat <laughs> and actually still see the TV. <laughs> <laughs> So, I, you know, I would like to think that's for our brave vets or something, but it's probably just stoners buying, wow. buying this. So you can see the book or the TV set without having to lift your neck in any way. Whoa. I don't think that that would be very pleasing. Really? No. To watch TV lying flat would, on your I back. I think it would seem weird. I really do. I think it would, it's like, have you ever been in a place where the television was mounted on the ceiling? Yeah, like a planetarium. It turns any theater into a planetarium, basically. Yeah. But I suppose and to me, that's what I want. <laughs> if, you, if you were like, if you wanted to customize your bedroom so that you could lay flat on your back on your bed and watch TV, you could put a big screen TV, just mount it to the roof. But I don't, I think your brain wouldn't. These are cheaper. This is like eight bucks for, instead, yeah. of having to, instead of having to mount a TV on the ceiling. <laughs> it just bounces your TV into right, your ceiling. Right. Listeners. From our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization will survive. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. Our final word might be you doing your stoner voice. Let's hope so, bro. <laughs> but if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.